And there's always things we can start doing to help challenge that mindset. If you get out of your comfort zone more and more and more each day, then when you get to buds and you realize you've already done all that, if you show up there and you say, hey, if anybody deserves to make it through, it's me because I did everything I possibly could to train my body and my mind. This podcast is not to be used as medical advice or medical education. If you are experiencing pain, discomfort, or any other medical or physical ailment, please consult a licensed medical doctor or physical therapist. This is the strategy of fitness. Hey, this is Dan Gore from the Strategy of Fitness Podcast. We'd like to thank you for all of your support. And if you love the podcast, please recommend to a friend. Find the Strategy of Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Please like, subscribe, follow, and leave a review if you can. On Instagram, we are at the Strategy of Fitness. And we also give you the best gym songs every week. The Strategy of Fitness official hitters playlist on Spotify. The Strategy of Fitness recently partnered up with Whoop, the best wearable technology you can use for any type of fitness that you're into. Just click on the link in our Instagram bio and sign up and get $30 off. Welcome back to the Strategy of Fitness podcast. My name is Nick Cressy, joined weekly by Dan Gorn and Rob Rowland, coming off a great interview with Joe Kaufman. What's going on, boys? Just chilling here, having a great little week so far. Rob, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. I couldn't notice while we were on the interview. You looked a little bit darker. You were trying to hide your cast from Joe. Is that what you were you're doing over there? No, we're pretty good. I got the I got the normal light set up. Right, I, blends, it, it's, I, I have sometimes I wear different color shirts and it, the black cast blends in my black shirt. I'm about fucking sick and tired of this thing though. <laughs> How you feeling, man? You you getting some good cardio sessions in? Yeah, man. So I guess we'll talk about the weekly work, getting good cardio sessions in. I hit the man you run. The Man U test, which is a favorite of Mara Roland to develop by Manchester United as a conditioning drill. I know we've talked about it on here before, but for people who haven't listened before, I posted it the other day. It's 100 meters up, 100 meters back. So you go to find a track. You're going to do 25 seconds up, 35 seconds back 10 times. And then every subsequent time, you subtract a second on the way up. So then you go 24 second kind of sprintish or faster run up 36 seconds back. And then you go 23, 37 and on down the line until you get to 15. And then to pass the test, you have to go 15 seconds up. So that's a sprint up. And then you get a 45 second jog back and you have to hit that three times in a row. That's completion of the test. Now I got to the round of 17, finished that and then couldn't hit the next one there, the 16. So it, it's a pretty rough test. The first 10 is just a jog. What I found rough is, and I know you both have done this test at least to some level, it is so hard to pace that 20 to 25 second one because once I got down to 18 or 19, I'm pretty much you know putting it in. But like when I was at the 24, I'm running like 20 and I'm like, oh shit, well now I'm going to be tired for the 20. you know. So it, it was for me a pacing thing. I, I'm probably going to try it again this weekend just kind of see where I can get if I just pace it a little bit better. Did hit that and then second session that day, 
every three minutes on the minute. So 25 cal assault bike, trying to hit that one in the kind of a minute, 30, minute 20 to minute 30, every three minutes for 21 minutes, and then hit a superset with the 80 pound kettlebell, five or eight squats, eight reverse lunges with the 80 pound front rack in the right hand, four times through that superset. So that was my day on Saturday, but nothing too exciting. Yeah, I like that workout. There's a lot of thinking that goes on. Like you said, there's some strategy to that throughout. And I think it's one of the few that you're constantly thinking about your pace. Usually on the track, you're just going and getting it or there's a feel. But there, there's a whole lot of, oh, fuck, I went too fast there. I'm going to be tired. And you're thinking about the jog back. So it's a mental workout as much as it's physical. It's fun. Dude, uh, 80 racks or 80 pounds in the front rack is holding some weight there. You you still bruising up your forearms or did you figure out how to hold that kettlebell? I think we're good, dude. What do you think? Wow, look at this guy. He's toughening up before our eyes. <laughs> dude, his right arm is so fucking jacked. Dude, my right arm is going to be jacked. And I'm, I'm hitting the BFR pretty hard on my left arm. It'll be interesting to see the results. It's, I, I can't really hold any weight in it, but I've been actually using like manual resistance with the BFR. And you can get a good pump. So I'll do like manually resisted bicep curls and tricep extensions. And you'd be surprised after the 75 rep uh, little, little uh, paradigm there. You get some, get some good pump going. We, we got to get Nick on some BFR. I feel like he would absolutely love it. He used it. It was fun. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, it's yeah, so my great. team had it. It was good stuff. Right when I was Nick, leaving. What, what'd you get into, Nick? You know, more more of the same with the Frasier programming. That's fun. I'm enjoying myself. My body doesn't hurt. I don't know if that means I'm not going hard enough. I did a nasty little one today. He does these Metcons under fatigue where you basically do a buy-in on the Echo Bike not timed. So it was 40 cows. And he's like, look, just go a moderate pace. But the point is when you get off of it, you go right into your Metcon. And that was three rounds of 10 devil press at 50 pounds, 10, 150 D balls over shoulder. So that sucked three rounds of that. And then you get back and you have a a cash out buyout, which is a 20 cal as hard as you can go on the echo bike. So that's kind of weird, a little bit different than what I'm used to. DeMalto, Nick DeMalto, loyal listener of the pod, sent me one of CrossFit Lewis's workouts this week. I guess I'll share it. It was five rounds. It's kind of thrown together. You can tell it was like a, a birthday wad. 48 double unders, six shoulder to overhead at 135, eight back squats at 135, and 11 toes to bar five rounds of that. And then 73 bar facing burpees <laughs> fucking sucked. Absolutely hated all of that. So that was pretty tough. But other than that, you know, kind of just pushing through Fraser's programming. I'm enjoying it. What about you, Rob? Uh, only one I wanted to throw out there this week is I started, I, I've been like doing three of these five bike workouts each week for the year two of the year of the engine. And I, I really like now there's like challenges thrown in every other week. So the one that I like, it was 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, start at nine calories in every round, try to get an extra calorie. So I got up to like 18 on that one before I just could not physically pedal those, that bike any, any harder, but it was nice to have something that wasn't just like straight intervals to get, like have a ascending challenge and kind of something to shoot for there. How much longer are you doing this? He said it's year two, man. He's on the second year. He's I mean, I've, I've paid for three months of this year, so I'm just supplementing. I, I lift four times a week in my cardio sessions. I, would, I pick out three of these to do on my, my days I'm not lifting. Okay. Well, good. One is a shoe review. I got the new Rich Froney shoes. They're fucking awesome. I love them. I'm just wearing the work that I haven't worked out, and I want to keep them clean. Very nice, very nice looking shoe. I will throw that out there. Second thing, hit the GHD like our good friend Rob likes me to do. So I don't just get GHD sit-ups in. And I did do some like YouTube wandering about like 
kind of specifics with form. And one of the, the tidbits I found was really locking your toes in and having your foot in a plantar flex position and locking it in that way. So you're more activating your gastroc muscle and nice calf burn at the top of my gastrocs on both gastroc heads. So little tip gets you a little bit more calf. So then you're hitting calf, glute and hand. Man, talk about a posterior chain burner. That was a, that was a good little tip that I definitely made a huge difference for me. Tell me about your GHDs. What, what kind of rep range are we working? How sore are your hammies the next day? Dude, my hamstrings were devastated. I not only did 30 of them, so six sets of five. And just trying to do as many as I can without using any upper extremity assistance. I usually hit like three or four. And then on that fifth or sixth, I'll need just that last little push up with my right hand on, on the top. Well, what do you, what's, a, what's a good set of rep range there? No, that's, that's good. You're doing it right. If your hamstrings are obliterated, you're doing it right. Dude, my, Sometimes my, you can, you can set up those GHDs to really make it advantageous and not get like a really good hamstring load, but it sounds like you're doing it right. Yeah. My, and, and you know where I feel it too, everything is insertional. Like it's, it's, or I'm sorry, at the origin points, like my gastroc just above my knees and also my hammy is kind of at that ischial tuberosity, that proximal hamstring soreness, which is a hard place to get really sore for me, unless I'm doing heavy RDLs, it, it's a tough place for me to get really sore. Where and are if you doing pad on your on your quad to do a set that small? Right at on my quad. So it's at, like my knee is like butted, like the top part of my knee, the distal part of the quad is butted right up to the bottom, the most right. bottom part of the pad, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah. So you're definitely isolating that that hammy. So the, the real test is by the time you come out of your cast, if you're doing it right, like every time you sit down and you're wearing shorts, when you get up, you should have to pull your shorts down. Your hamstrings should be so thick that <laughs> shorts don't fall down on their own anymore. Dude, we're already there, man. Come on, come on. <laughs> every time I see, every time I see either of you guys in real life, by the way, I ask how my body looks. <laughs> <laughs> I ask like, do I look more jacked than I? Should it hasn't be? gotten that weird because we see each other so sparingly. But as as the world returns to normal, hopefully. Yeah, uh, it's, it starts it, to get a little awkward. When it's pl- it it's plenty weird, but I'll continue to show you guys my legs. <laughs> Rob, tee up our guest. So from the warriorcalling.com, we got Joe Kaufman, former operator, Navy SEAL, was on the SDV team. Am I saying that right, Nick? Yep. So he's an instructor down there after he was on the SDV team, was a BUDS instructor, got out, had a lot of experiences. Now he's running the Warrior Calling website. Fascinating guy to listen to. Very well-spoken. I think it's an interview you're all going to enjoy. Welcome to the Strategy of Fitness podcast. This week, we're joined by Joe Kaufman, 11-year Navy SEAL, head coach of the Warrior Calling. What's going on today, Joe? How's it going, guys? Yeah, excited to be here. And I'm pumped to share with you guys and hopefully add a little value. So yeah, I'm excited about it, man. That's what we're here to do. So before we get into you and, and lay the groundwork to your story, we always start with our guests. What'd you hit in the gym today? So I, I, I actually train guys in person in Coronado for training up for buds. We meet every Tuesday. So you guys hit it perfectly. Today was front squat day. And then we worked on push press. And then lastly, I ran the guys through fight gone bad. And that was you know, one of those, those foundational CrossFit sessions. And I did that in second phase in buds. Actually, we had some of the founders of CrossFit were, you know, kind of working through that whole process and setting that up back in 2007. So they put me through that a fight gone bad. So I let the guys have it today. We, we did that, man. It was a good session. Give the listeners awesome. a little sneak peek of what that is. Cause not everyone's a CrossFitter that listens. Yeah. So, I mean, and just a background on it, really there's CrossFit's great for a lot of things. Sometimes I think people overdo it, but 
it's great to sprinkle in your training. I really like the session. So the fight gone bad, we actually have a modified version of it, but basically it's five different exercises that you have a minute at each station. So there's, there's a rowing for, for calories. There's a wall ball with 20 pounds. We do box jumps with 20 inches. We substitute, you're supposed to do a push press, but we had done push presses early in the day. So we did sandbag throws over the shoulder. So a minute of that. And then the last one was a, it's a barbell high pull, a sumo high pull. And then you have a minute rest. You do that for three rounds. So what you're supposed to do is count the reps for each station. So you count how many wall balls you do and you count how many calories you burn. So you go through that five different things. You go roll right into the next one, take a minute off. And then at the end, after the three rounds, you add all those points up and then you see who did the most reps or hit the most calories. So we kind of did a modified version. We had the sandbag in there. We didn't count reps this time. It was just blasting through as hard as we could. We didn't count counter reps this time, but the guys were smoked at the end of it. So was I. So it was good, man. That's beautiful. Great. Well, we can't wait to dive in a little bit more about the warrior calling and, and really get into that. But before we do, let's take it all the way back. Super impressive background. We talked about it before we hit record, but tell the listeners who you are, where you're from, how you got in, you know, why you decided to be a SEAL and why you're doing what you're doing now. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's crazy. I was just thinking about it the last couple of days because we have mentorship calls with the guys I coach. And we're really, especially what's going on in Afghanistan right now, that was what my, a big part of my why, the reason why I wanted to be a SEAL. If I was going to serve, I was going to serve with the best of the best. This was back in 2006. And I knew right out of high school that I wanted to serve. I wasn't ready. I, I knew I wasn't ready out of high school. So I trained for three years when I was 20. This was back in 2006, 2007. I joined the military, joined the Navy with the contract saying, yes, you're going to go to BUDS. I, I rolled into class 263. That's when I started Hell Week with. I went through first phase of 263, BUDS class 263. I actually got a femur stress fracture in Hell Week, but I've made it through Hell Week. So I got rolled post Hell Week, rolled into class 265. And then I went through the rest of BUDS and SQT, SEAL qualification training with 265. Once I did that, I got orders to SDV Team 1, SEAL Delivery Vehicle Team 1 in Hawaii, which is the mini sub driving team. But in order to go to that team, you have to go to the school. So I sent, went to Panama City Beach for about three months, learned how to drive mini subs which is basically like an underwater rodeo. <laughs> when you're learning how to drive, those things are pretty crazy. And then when I was SDVs, I did Afghanistan deployments, a lot of hush-hush type missions out there with SDVs. Not, not a lot of people know what goes down out there, which is kind of cool. It's one of the top tier missions that we, mission sets that we go do as SEALs is SDV missions. And I did that, was back-to-back deployments for a while. I loved what I did, but after six years of, of that cycle deployments. It was time to take a step back. I went to teach at SDV school, teaching guys how to drive the mini subs. And then after that, it was time, hey, you know what, let's leave Hawaii. Let's go and serve as a buzz instructor, teaching guys how to basically how to dive that foundation level. So if you think about buds, basic underwater demolition seal training, and that's the foundation. A lot of people think, hey, I'm going to go to buds. I'm going to be trained to be a Navy seal when I get to buds. And that's not really the case. That's not really what, how you need to think of it. It's actually a selection process, which you know, some people need to think about it that way. So you need to train for it. So going in as a BUDS instructor, having the diving background, it was second phase for me. I taught there for four years. During that time, I got to work Hell Weeks as well. Also the officer selection process. 2017, man, I left though. It was time for me to get out. Fall of 2017. I, it was at 
as te- you know, 10 years in, 11 years in, it's time to make that call. If you want to do your 20 years or get out, now is my, my time to decide. And I, at that point, I started having kids. And you know, kids change things, right? And family. So it was time for me to make that transition. I stepped away from the SEAL teams. And I did the drastic thing that you're probably not supposed to do. And I was like, dude, we're going to do something crazy. I'm going to shift my entire life right away. And I moved overseas. We sold everything. We sold our house here in San Diego, sold our cars. My wife got into a master's program in England. So we went out there. I finished my master's degree. I tried the corporate world. I had done the, the Honor Foundation, which is a transition program, helping guys prepare for life outside the military. I joined Elite Meet, which is another great program for guys that want to transition from special forces or being in a pilot, elite operators, transitioning from that to the civilian world, which is it's a huge shift, man. It's so difficult, as you guys know. I, and honestly, it wasn't working for me. It just wasn't. I, I wasn't passionate about it. I didn't like working in corporate. I tried doing real estate like everybody does, right? I did the real estate down here in San Diego, moved back here. I did that for a year, working real estate, working at a, a great job, sitting in front of a computer for 10 hours every day, just wasn't my thing. And I was missing the community. I was missing the brotherhood. I was missing the boys. I was training before. So I said, you know what? Let's just let's change. Let's change this whole thing. I've been, I've been training guys on the side, preparing them for buds, having that as my background. Why don't I turn that into business, something that I can help the next generation? And that's when I launched the Warrior Calling last year. It's actually September of last year. So almost coming up on one year of doing this really as a serious job and passion of mine. And we'll dig into that as well, what the Warrior Calling is all about. But that's kind of my story, man, my backstory. And it's been a crazy ride. Past September, man, I quit my job last year in the middle of a pandemic with a house, you know, a house here in San Diego with the mortgage and, and the kids and all this crazy stuff. It's like the worst time you would think you want to quit your job in the middle of a pandemic. But I knew what I wanted to do. I, I felt my calling. I felt my next step in life. And that's what I did. So this a little bit about my backstory. Yeah, before I let these two loose, for one, the SDV teams really like tip of the spear stuff. I, I worked with a lot of SDV guys and Definitely a unique mission set. Let's call it that. And secondly, you hit on it. And for any of the military folks or people that are interested in the military, the culture getting out, man, missing the boys is so true. And that's why things like the Honor Foundation and Elite Meet are so important. And I know people, you know, donate to those, you know, various causes. So important because really those type of workshops allow people like you and I and others to get out and land on our feet. I mean, I was lucky enough that I got hired with a Green Beret, a Marsoc, and another Ranger. And that's that's why I can make the corporate world work because it's a 15-person firm and I got four operators with me, you know? So it, yep. one of the hardest things to articulate is when you're getting out, what you're leaving behind isn't just a cool job, it's the culture, right? Yeah. yeah 100%. I, I think the, the beautiful thing about it is that blends into what you're doing now, right? Not only is it a passion project, but like you said, you are impacting, you know, those, those future operators. So give us a little color around the warrior calling. What is it? And we'll go from there. Yeah, for sure. So it's kind of a unique program that I set up. And what I really wanted to do is not just set up a, there's a lot of information out there, right? There's just so much information. Guys want to find out how to train for buds. There's books, there's movies, 
There's a great coaches out there. There's mentors out there, but really I wanted to bring it all together and create a program that was not just going to train you physically. I, we write programming. It's personalized to each guy. We don't want to just do that, but we wanted to also train their mind. And so we do a lot of mindset work. We do a lot of breathing work. I took on one of my other buddies I work with in second phase as a coach. He's a certified breathing mindset coach. He's gone through the whole Wim Hof course and he has other certifications. And we bring him on to help with that as well, because it's not just, I mean, everybody knows it's buds is 90% mental. So if you're not training the mental side of things and you're just training your body, you're going out for runs, doing swims, you're doing stuff in the gym. That's great. But if your mind isn't right, then what the heck are we doing? Right. If you're, if you don't have a strong enough, why, if you don't have something driving you forward, then why put all the work in? Why show up to buds? If you don't have a strong, why, if you're just there to be, if you want to be a Navy seal, right. You want to shoot guns, jump out of planes, be a badass. That's great. But at the end of the day, man, that's not going to be enough to pull you through when you're going through hell week when you're going through the challenges of, of going through pool comp and second phase or out on San Clemente Island, man. So I wanted to pull all that together. So honestly, I started from the ground and I said, Hey, what, if I were going through something like this, what would I want to do? And so it's a mentorship program as well as elite performance training. So I take the guys the first week of its 10 week program that I put them through. The first week is all testing. So I'll check their PST scores. So the tests you needed to go through in order to actually get a contract for buds. We do one of those. We check their form out time run. We have some weightlifting tests. We do some swim tests. We want to see where they're at in that first week. Some guys we work with, they can only do five pull-ups. Other guys have close to 30 pull-ups when they come into the program. So we want to tailor the programming to them, what their needs are, and just challenging them saying, hey, this is where you're at, man, but let's get you that next level. Right here in front of me, I have all the PST scores. So every call that I'm on, I'm looking at saying, hey, where were you at right now? Let's take a look at the top tier scores. How can we get you that level? So I wanted to walk with each guy every step of the way instead of saying, hey, here's a program for 10 weeks. Good luck. Send you on your way. And hopefully you can do well, make it through training. There's so much of that out there, which is great. You know, it helps some guys, but at the end of the day, it misses the mark on a lot of areas. So it's a 10 week course. It's broken up throughout that with different cycles that we go through in training. We focus on a lot of different things, building endurance in the background, working on strength, also focusing on good technique, proper form. We have in-person training here in Coronado that helps out with that a lot. But yeah, man, it's it's really been developing as well. It started out as an eight-week program. Now it's 10 weeks. We took on a nutrition coach this week as well. So we have people adding to the team each month and it's been growing. So I think the biggest thing to think about is, is it working? Is there transformation with it? And I would say absolutely 100% there is. We have guys who are showing up to buds right now in that top tier score range. Since we're so new, we don't have guys that have made it through buds to say, hey, it's working. It's worked. These guys are proof. But we look at their scores. We see where they're at when they begin the program, see where they're at at the end of the program, and we see where they're at when they leave for buds. So it's 10 weeks, and then we do month-to-month training beyond that. Does that kind of help out? That definitely helps. So Joe, you were talking a lot about mindset being the deciding factor in making it through buds. And you say that first week you do a lot of physical testing. Have you looped in any psychometric testing to, to applicants to this program to see mental status or, or try to help predict like who is successful up front or is are there plans for that or speak a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a good point. What what we like to do is we have a worksheet. So there's different homeworks throughout the whole 10 weeks. So each each 10 week or each each block within the 10 weeks 
is broken up into modules. So they'll go through training. We have a whole online portal that has different training they go through. And one of those is talking about just this. It's talking about finding out what is your why, talking about where your mindset is. So we don't necessarily have them go through super extensive mindset evaluation, finding out a lot of details on a scale of one to 10, all that stuff. But it's really a high-level overview. Hey, what is your why? What is what it really drives you for? What what makes you come alive? What is something that really fires you up? So we kind of dig into that in the beginning of the course. And then halfway through at week five, we dig into that again to say, hey, how have you developed this? Working through these training sessions, they're going to be quite challenging for a lot of these guys. That you know, that a lot of them have really great foundations in their training, but we want to take them to that next level. So through I'm not going to be there behind them yelling at them with a bullhorn, right? I'm not, I can't just travel around the country and yell at guys. And I don't want to do that, right? This is a training program. So I want them to push themselves. So we try to get them in that mindset, like, you know, here's the tools, right? Here's everything that we can do. Now it's up to you to take this and run with it. Uh, I think part of that that makes it so effective is accountability. So we have monthly calls, weekly calls. We have a mindset call every Monday. And on those calls, like 30 minutes, we blast through breathing work. We go through with the guys, hey, here's a, here's a breathing technique that focuses, that helps with refocusing. So if you need to refocus, if your mindset is just spinning, if your mind's spinning, you're about to start pool comp, you're sitting there on the pool deck, you're about to start hell week, whatever it might be, here's a great breathing technique to use. So we're trying to, we're trying to pull in all the different aspects. There's definitely room for improvement, but so far it's been, it's pretty been pretty amazing seeing the guy's mindset shift when they come in and when they come on the other side of it. It's, it's funny because I just noticed you have the massive flag in the background. I was going to ask a question related to our good friend, Mitch Aguiar, one of the uh, strategy yeah. fitness alums. Yeah, I think he's yeah. now, he was shadow banned, but now he's not shadow banned from Instagram. So he might be back. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, he was a great guest and I, I highly advise anybody to go back and listen to that episode. Interesting dude. And one of the things he said, and this is coming from somebody I have no military back. I've never been in hard shit really ever. I'm pretty much the softest one here. But one of the things he said that really stuck with me, he was like, he wasn't a great swimmer going to Buds. He wasn't like the best athlete going to Buds. And you have people now like Nick Nichols say, we were talking about it, I think last episode that are former D1 football players or former D1 swimmers, like really tip of the spear. But, but what Mitch said is you can kind of prepare for everything, but the mental side, like you kind of just have to not fucking quit. Like literally there's going to be something that breaks you and you can't quit. So in kind of addition to what Rob was asking, and I love that you have the formalized breathing and kind of the formalized mental game. Can you kind of fuck with these, you know, your, your, your guys and kind of start to haze them a little bit or start to give them a little taste of what buzz is going to be like, like, what's the deal with that when you have people who are obviously paying for your services? Yeah, there's a fine line because we want to push them. I think it's it, there is there's a fine line with it. What I would say is, yeah, you're not going to know exactly how you're going to react when you're put into, uh, say, surf torture or you're going through and, and say Wednesday night of hell week when you're running with a log, running with a boat. But I think what you can do is prepare your mind. Say, hey, what are some things we can do right now to challenge myself? And if I mean, there's cold water immersion. So we have the guys go out and do cold water immersion as well. One of those, one of the things we do, but at the end of the day, it's each person's why the reason why they want to be a Navy SEAL, whatever they want to do, that's personal to them. And so we dig into that. We help them find out what that might be. We challenge them. At the end of the day, we're not hazing them. It's a professional course. We say, Hey, we're here to help you or give you tools. We're actually considered mentors. We want to think about we're mentors to you. 
We're going to put you through this really intense training program. But at the end of the day, it's up to you how you use this. You're going to have good results if you go through this program, or you're going to have fantastic results based off how you push yourself, how you dedicate yourself to the process. So we kind of put it back on them because if you think about it, it all comes back to personal, personal discipline, personal responsibility. And at the end of the day, I don't want to be there motivating them, kind of poking my finger to them and saying, hey, I'm the one that pushed you to do this. Like, I want to give them the tools. I'm going to put them in some uncomfortable situations and I'm going to see how they react to it. Now, doing it remotely with most of our clients, it's a challenge because we get on the phone with them on a weekly basis. We have one-on-one calls with them and we'll say, hey, man, what's going on? We try to dig into their mindset. But if you're not face-to-face with somebody and you're seeing them train, you're talking to them in person, then sometimes it is challenging to really dig into that and say, hey, man, let's take you to the next level. But I think what we have in place right now has worked pretty well, but there's always, and there's always things we can start doing to help challenge that mindset. If you get out of your comfort zone more and more and more each day, then when you get to buds and you realize you've already done all that, if you show up there and you say, Hey, if anybody deserves to make it through, it's me because I did everything I possibly could to train my body and my mind. So you want to embrace, we try to have them embrace their adversity they're facing right now. We have them find things in their life that are challenging them right now. Because if they show up to Buds and the first time they face adversity is a Buds instructor yelling in their face, telling them to get wet and sandy, they're going to be, oh my God, I'm not ready for this. Or they, you know, they're out there with boats and logs. That's, dude, that would take your soul if you're not ready for it. So we want to push them as much as we can in training. We want to challenge their mindset. But at the end of the day, it's, we give them the tools and you know, it's up to them to execute. But I think that's great because you're you're teaching them to fish by giving them that intri- like or by teaching them that they were maybe illustrating that they have some intrinsic motivating factor that's going to guide them through anything in life. Like anyone can scream in your face, anyone can shout, but if you really dig into somebody and illustrate what they got inside, that's going to get them through it. And you know, I think that those CrossFit style workouts and those brutal type workouts is a great place to start because. Again, you do any of those workouts, you're going to want, there's going to be something that seeps in. It's like, man, I could just easily quit this. But if you do enough of those, you kind of gain that confidence and you, you may be through that, you find your why, but, but that's beautiful stuff, man. I, I really like that, that way to, to teach and that way to approach. And I think that you're always, you're always going to have a more powerful impact on somebody's life when you mentor and guide through love versus guiding through fear. That's good stuff. If you know me, you know, I'm always on the run up early and home late. So having a three-hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 
Proven Grit. That's drinkag1.com slash proven grit. Check it out. Yeah, it's it's been interesting because at the same time, I have that the side of me that's from the Buds instructor side that just wants me to get out there and just really shake them because I want them to know what they're stepping into because I, I, you know, I've been there myself, but also I've seen it on the other side. So I want them to be prepared. So you see guys step into a program and you want to shake them but at the same time you don't want to scare them off. So there's, it, it is tough. Sometimes when you get on the phone, you just want to yell at them. At the same time, you got to tone it down and say, Hey, I'm not trying to motivate you right now. Cause motives, I, I don't really care if what motivates you, right? I want something that's so deep inside of you. That's driving you forward. You're why, man, that's going to pull you through when you're out there in surf torture and you came out of the water and you're freaking cold and you go back in, it's not going to, I'm not going to, you're not going to think about me telling you and motivating you in that moment. You're going to think about your why. So that's why we dig into the, really the heart of the issue. And yeah, at the end of the day, man, there's going to be guys that just decide it's not for them. Even guys that go through our program when they're going through hell week when they're going through first, second, third phase, man, that's on them, right? We tell them when they start the program, this will not guarantee you that you become a seal, but we'll give you all the tools that we got. We'll help you out. We'll be the mentor. We'll be a guide for you. And that's what we want to do for these guys. Joseph, I'm, I'm fascinated by the instructor side, especially going over back to buds when you became an instructor and working in hell week, does the Navy put you through an instructor course? Is this just OJT when you go there and like what factors from being an instructor in buds do you, do you integrate into your program now? Yeah. So when you, when you show up to buds, you have a three, I think it's three weeks long. You go through an instructor qualification course, but that, that kind of gives you the foundation on how to teach guys. It doesn't necessarily say, Hey, this is how you're going to execute and do a, a run an evolution. So in order to actually run evolutions within buds, you have to go through a whole process of qualification. You have to get signed off by all the senior staff. So you have to go watch it. You have to run it underneath guidance of somebody else in front of you. And then you eventually can do it on your own. And that, ha- that actually takes like a year or two under your belt as an instructor before you're actually out there leading the uh, physical evolution. So you have a lot of background. Just because you've gone through it doesn't mean that you're qualified to then instruct it. And I think one of the things, especially coming from the diving side of things, I like learning all the nuances to instruction. I like thinking about, hey, how is this going to help each guy? I don't want to just think of a blanket program for everyone. I want to think about how can I specifically help each guy that's going through this. And I really, really like the, the diving teaching part of things. So I, I kind of pull that into what I do with this. I don't teach diving. Obviously, we don't train guys how to dive within our seal ready program, but I like teaching. That's why I have, there's modules of just video lessons throughout our seal ready program that they can watch. They can go and they have that online access to that because that's sort of my passion. If I wasn't, if I didn't do the buds instructor, if I didn't do this, I'll probably try to be a teacher because I just love helping people. I love teaching people. So as passion of mine is just helping guys out, teaching them. So pulling that side of the instructor a buds instructor into what I do now is a lot of, a lot of teaching. I have videos that are recorded on how to prepare for the tread. There's a tread in second phase that takes a lot of guys that gets a lot of guys out of the program because they have twin eighties on their back. They have 12 pounds around their waist and their hands are out of the water and they have to, tw- they have to tread water for a certain amount of time. Plus do a travel in the pool. And if they're not prepared for that, they go through hell week. They show up to second phase. We remind them where they're at. They're still in buds in second phase. And it's, each phase gets more and more difficult than the phase before it in different ways. So I d- definitely pull in things from instructor time in my, as an instructor, for sure. It's fun. In your time in teaching the diving, were there qualities you pick up on 
on people going through that you could say, man, this guy is, is going to be successful or I guess more interestingly, like what, what qualities do you see for people that you know aren't going to be successful? I know you talk about finding the why is it just mm-hmm. boiled out to that or are there more specifics that you, you noticed in, in that dive phase? Yeah, that's where it really comes out. To be honest, you go through first phase and you're going to be physically challenged. You go through hell week and it's going to test your body. But really when you get to second phase and your mind is really tested because there's, there's dives that you have to do and you have to pass each dive that you're instructed and you have to, you have to pass it within, I think it's two days. So you have two days to dive, pass a dive. And anyways, you get up to OCA open circuit dive number eight, and you'll see guys panic during that test because it is kind of a kick in the nuts. Really. It's you and the instructor underwater, and he is basically trying to take your life. And you're, as an instructor, you're pulling his mouthpiece out. You're tying knots in his hoses. You are challenging him in a very stressful environment to see how he responds because there's a few things you can put somebody under, such as shooting bullets at them with a gun, putting them in a near drowning experience, maybe throwing them out of an airplane to really see what, how they're going to react and respond at a stress level that's like off the charts. So you can't shoot bullets at people, right? That would not work. So we put them in the pool, take away their air source, spin them around, get them disoriented, and then watch to see how they respond to procedures. So pool comp, going through that dive, open circuit number eight, it's all about procedures. So as they're being spun around, they're, they're on a breath hold, you're pulling their mouthpiece, you're tying knots in their hoses, then we watch to see how they calm themselves down. We watch to see if they can follow procedures. And we watch to see if they're panicking. Because if they panic in that moment, and they're in a controlled environment, there's an instructor right there, we have safety divers in the pool, and that's where they panic, they foot plant, they want to shoot to the surface, say, Roger that, keep our eyes on that guy because he's probably going to panic in another stressful situation. So we really, really look for the guys that are going to get in the water and they're going to panic when they're trying to think of procedures. And if they can't remember procedures, then that's another thing. If they just, their mind just kind of goes blank, they know what they're supposed to do, but they can't execute underwater in a stressful environment. That's another red flag. So it's the panic and they can't think straight. They can't think clearly. So we'll watch for those. Many times you'll see guys, you'll say, hey, he's got what it takes. He's going to make it through. Many times you'll see guys that just, they'll panic. And they're, it's too much for them. So just because you make it through that hell week, first phase, you got another hurdle coming for you in second. It's by no means impossible to pass, but it took me four attempts to pass it. And you get four attempts. So I was on my last attempt when I was going through buds. And I had dive experience prior to this as well. So I didn't, I didn't just start from nothing. I had years of scuba dive experience prior to going to buds and it still kicked my ass. So it's not easy. I think it's, I think it's so, so interesting to hear how you tie and, and Rob's alluded to it. You know, you were an instructor, you, you kind of have the answers to the test and now you're, you're mentoring these folks. Have you thought about branching out beyond the, the SEAL teams? I mean, I'm assuming buds is going to be your primary focus as you launch this thing. You're a year into it, right? You know, I'm sure you have familiarity with, with the other service, you know, standards. Yeah. Yeah. We have some guys that are going through right now that they want that training like a Navy SEAL, but they're not actually going to buds. We have one guy going through right now. He's training for the police academy. And so we take that in consideration. It's called the SEAL Ready Program. But yes, our actual our vision is to have another course down the road that's really focused on anybody that wants to go through. Now, the SEAL Ready Program, we're going to keep that as our core program because that's kind of our flagship program. We want everybody that that wants to be a Navy SEAL, that really wants to take their training to the next level. 
They want, we want them to go through that course. We want to set up a second course for just the average Joe off the street that really wants to train as a Navy SEAL, the mindset. We won't have necessarily the personalized programming for each guy or woman, whoever it might be that comes in, but we want to have a structured program. They can do the, the grinder PT sessions. Uh, we'll have some strength work in there. We'll have some basic run training depending on their level that they come in at. So yeah, we're definitely branching out. We want to make that happen by the end of the year is have a second course in place because it's a huge need for it out there. I mean, you guys know, I'm sure of the, the corporate type of experiences that people can go through, the team building, and that's all well and good. They have the hoo events, right? You go to Seal Fit. There's some really great experiences. Yeah. The SOCOM athlete, highly recommend those programs. But those are just like a weekend or a week-long course. But over time, that's really when you develop skills. That's when you develop habits. That's when you develop strength and endurance. That's why our program is 10 weeks long with month-to-month training after that is because we saw that these, these programs, they're great. But we want to set something up that's a little bit more deep that we can really help people have transformation. So at the end of the day, that's what we're looking for is transformation, not just providing them with a hoo event or information, but we want to transform guys' lives. Yeah. And I think it's Stu Smith when I think about what you're talking about, you know, the, the way he kind of, he started with the, with the Bud's prep stuff and now he's firefighters, SWAT, et cetera. So yeah. I, I do like the 10 week piece because the market is riddled with the hoo events. And I think yeah. the hoo events are cool, especially for corporate yeah. America. I would be lying to you if I didn't say I'd thought about developing something, even for like high school teams, like some bonding, you know, some, some, some shock treatment, so to speak, give them a, a tough, you know, day and a half or something. But the 10 weeks really allows you to ingrain that mentality into them and check in with their psyche. So I totally see what you're doing there. I think it's a, a, a good way of, of going about it. Yeah, I think it's just kind of fills the gap there because there are a lot of great events out there. There's a lot of great people like yeah, Stu Smith's a fantastic resource. I read his book when I was training back in 2006, 2007. I went through the 12 Weeks to Buds, changed my life. It was a great place to build that foundation. So there's so many, so many great guys out there, but I want to do something that was kind of different than everything yeah. else because I really wanted to get and do that transformational focus with this. So, and it's, and I think just it, it plays into my, my passion of what I love doing. And so I think, Really, man, if, if that's what you want to do, if you have something you want to do and you want to help everybody, then figure out a way to do that. But if you want to help each person, if you want to help a small group of people on a really greater level, then do that. Just find whatever really fires you up and go make that happen. And that's kind of what I had to find for myself. This is a question. And Nick's talked about this book. I can't remember the author, but the kind of what is your why? So talk about your why that got you through Buds and then talk about what is your why now? Yeah, it's a great question. The why really coming from, so I was going through high school when 9-11 happened. So it really impacted me. And I knew when I was in high school that I was going to serve. And so that was a big part of my why going in. I have a strong sense of justice to really turn my heart out to see what's going on overseas right now. I have friends over in Afghanistan, interpreters who I work with when I was serving over there, that it's just, it's devastating. And I really wanted to say that because that was a big part of my why is that serving overseas, bringing the fight to the enemy justice, right? I like, it just boils my blood to think about all these people that talk about doing things. They don't actually go do the actual deed. I want to be somebody who's boots on the ground, making things happen. I think that's a lot of military folks feel that way. They want to be the action takers, not just somebody that's, you know, telling people to do stuff. Um, and I did enlisted in the military. I wanted to be one of the boys wanted to be an operator. I didn't want to do the officer route. I think SEAL officers, they have a great 
role to play, but I wanted to be the guy doing the actual operation. But my why also stems from my grandfather. He wasn't in the military, but he he kind of had a unique story where he came from Indonesia. Well, originally from Armenia, he grew up there, and there was Armenian genocide you know, way back early 1900s. He moved with his family to Indonesia to escape the Armenian genocide. He started. Uh, he got married. He started raising a little family. Then World War II happened. And they took over the entire island. He got put in a concentration camp. And during his time in a concentration camp, where he lost his first wife, he was he still tried to think of the way that he could help people around him. He wanted to turn things around, even though it was really, really challenging for him. But one of the things he did was he would take, he was an auto mechanic, so he would fill the uh, batteries and he would take them to the, to the wall of the camp and tell the people on the outside, you know, hey, here's a battery, I need to replace it. He was helping the, the Japanese fix their vehicles. So they didn't think anything of it. They said, Roger that we'll pass the batteries in and out. He was actually smuggling some medicine in and out of the camp. And so one day he got caught, they found out what he was doing and they put him in the full sun. They put him in a box, one of the you know middle of hot Indonesia sun, the middle of the camp. And he would just was there for a long, long time. He would just measure parts of his body, trying to just try not to go crazy there. And he made it through concentration camp. He came to the end of that time. And once the, you know, the U.S. came into Indonesia, he was freed from camp. He went back to see his, his hometown, found out his, his wife was gone. He never saw her again. He tried to then turn his life around again. He went to help at the hospital that was being rebuilt. That's where he met my grandmother, who was from Holland. And they met there. He got, you know, they, they got to meeting. They, they, got, they got engaged. They got married in Indonesia started having kids, but he knew that that wasn't a safe place for them. So they decided to set off to California, moved his entire family with three kids to California right after World War II, didn't know English, didn't know how to speak English, but started in Pasadena here, just building a business from the ground up, built an auto mechanic shop. And I, and I say all that just to say that seeing what the adversity he went through, but always doing something to, to make life better for him, the people that he loved, the people around him doing things for them, even when life was just going to, you know, going crazy around him, losing his first wife. And so that was a huge part of my why. And if he could go through what he went through in that concentration camp and moving his family to California, not knowing how to speak English, just a bunch of crazy things that went down in his life. If he can do that for his family and his the people that he loves, and I can serve in the military and go through a week long hell week, right? So that was a big part of my why. I wrote it actually on the hat. Um, so you wear a cover, right? During buds. I wrote things on my hat that really were part of my why. And that was one of them, writing his name up there. And it was like, what can you do to me, right? There's nothing you can do to me. I'm making it through. Like, this is what I feel called to do. So I call it the warrior calling. It's my little, my business, right? It's because we feel like it's such a part of you that's a calling almost in your life. Whether you want to say, you know, religious or you feel God or the universe calling you to do something, you need to answer that. And so that's what I did. That was a big part of my why. And moving forward, it's just training up the next generation. This more than ever, we need good warriors. We need solid people to be serving our country, right? The police force, firefighters, especially the military right now, they need good leaders. So I want to, I can't serve anymore. I, I just can't, I can't go back in, right? This is, I'm, did my time. Now I just want to help the next generation. And that's what I'm doing here with the Warrior Calling. And it's, since it's a passion project, it's one of those things that I just feel like it's going to continue to grow. 
is a part of me. So yeah, excited to have it going. That's awesome, man. Thank you for the thoughtful response there. And is there anything, I mean, we'd be remiss to say, it sounds like you did spend time in Afghanistan. Is there anything you wanted to say about the current situation? Or I know it's, it's. I mean, we could probably do a seven hour podcast on it, but yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure this has got to be way heavy on you right now. It's tough because I did lose a lot of friends over there. I was in Afghanistan right before extortion 17 happened. I was going in and out of those bases every night. I knew a lot of guys that died in that. I had an interpreter friend that I was really close with that I work with that died there. There's one of the, one of the guys, I, one of the African interpreters, I was in contact with him and he can't, he can't talk to his family right now because they're in Afghanistan. He's, you know, he's somewhere safe and they're, he's telling his family, just burn documentation, just burn it all. Show that, show that you never, I was never helping the Americans in Afghanistan because if they find out, if the Taliban find out, then it's going to, who knows what's going to happen to his family. So they're, and they're trying to erase any, anything that could possibly lead the Taliban to what he did. So it's just so crazy right now. And we just need to support them, right? And I know it's important to pray for them, but I think actions need to be taken at some point. I think this last 20 years were definitely not a waste. They really made a big impact over there. And there's a lot of great, good people in Afghanistan. And it's really, really hard to see what's going on. Somehow good is going to come from this. I don't know how, I don't know when. But I think the biggest thing we do now is, is pray for those people over there and support those who are coming out of there and doing anything we can to help them because it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a mess right now. It really, really is. So yeah, it's tough. It's tough to watch. Uh, thanks for your answer. I know that's a very broad question, but I did want to get some perspective and having you on tonight, I, I guess we've been planning this for a while, but I feel bad not asking. I think this has been great, man. And thank you for those words. I think, I think it's, I can only imagine the emotions going through people that have that have served over there. I guess before we let you go, a couple things. How can people find you? I know there's an apply here link. I, I love that. You're not just like come one, come all. That you know, you're looking for applicants. What's a successful applicant look like? And then we got a couple funny, silly questions to get you out. So yeah, definitely the warrior calling on Instagram. So just the warrior calling. Go ahead and look at that. That's a great place to start for a lot of people. We, we post a lot of stuff on there and not just like booyah motivation stuff, but try to really bring value. That's what we're trying to do right now. So just really bringing value to people. So definitely check us out on Instagram. So if you go to the warriorcalling.com, that's our website. And that really digs into the SEAL Ready program. So yeah, you click apply here. It's a quick, just like five minute or even less than that application. Because yes, we want it. We actually screen applicants. We have a lot of questions in there that help us screen them. Now, after the application process, there's a phone call. We set up actually two phone calls with each guy or, or woman, whoever wants to apply. It's a 15-minute phone call, first one. We kind of get clarity on where they want to go, what their goals are, and then I see if we can help them out. So a lot of people want to get that 15-second little tidbit, like how many miles should we be running per week or whatever the heck it is. And those are just little Band-Aid solutions, right? I don't want to give Band-Aid solutions because at the end of the day, I don't know if they're going to help you out or not. I don't know your background. Maybe you're like an ultra marathon runner, or maybe you haven't run in like a year. I don't want to give you some number and then have you go out, out there and run and, or lift weights. So I like to go through an application. So 15 minutes, our first call. If, you, if it sounds like we'd be a great fit, we get on a second call. It's 45 minutes. That one, we dig real deep into their, their training, what they're doing right now, the gaps they have in their training, something that they really, they can think through all this stuff because it's not just one of those things we want everybody to apply. We want you to really think about why you want to do this, why you want to train that elite level. Cause we don't want to just take anybody. We want to take the top performers. That's what we want to help out and train. So yeah, apply here. 
that's the application. Now, the website has some, some good information, but it doesn't give a ton. That's why we want to go through the call with each person to see how we can help them out. Awesome. Check that out. All right. Before we let you go, let's start with a quick hitter here. What's your favorite non-alcoholic seltzer? Ooh, I have a pomegranate in the closet here. That's like my favorite. What's the brand? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the cheap Target brand. So I don't even know what it's called, but it's, it's like the, the Target seltzer brand for pomegranate juice. <laughs> Perfect. It's my go-to during the summer. Dan, what do you got? Pomegranate is a, a vastly underrated, underrated fruit, agree. by the way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the fucking seeds are good. The oh, seltzers are good. Name me, name me a bad pomegranate anything. You're going for a one rep max in the gym. What song are you putting on? This goes. Uh, this will be immortalized on our Gym Hitters playlist on Spotify. So what song are you putting on? Yes. Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of soundtracks. I know it might sound corny, but I turn on The Dark Knight from Hans Zimmer. I turn, I, I know I'm kind of a nerd, but I love, it's like, I, I like to think of myself as like training for something like that. Right. So I'm, I want to think of myself, put myself in that superhero type mentality when I'm going for max. So I put myself in that place. I turn on Hans Zimmer. I'll go to the inception soundtrack, turn on something on there, but mo- more often than not, it's the dark Knight soundtrack. And I, I go to that one. And Rob, Rob through the mortal Kombat soundtrack all, which is another good one. If you, if you like that, <laughs> that's a great one. <laughs> Dude, we're talking Hans Zimmer. You just got to throw Gladiator on there too. We're talking oh, yeah. some Gladiator. real inspirational stuff. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Right, I'm going to modify the last question for you. We usually ask like, what, what do you define as strong? Something you see in the gym, but I want you looking at that, that list, your PST list. Give me some, some strength numbers or performance numbers that if you interview somebody like this guy is a physical beast, like we don't have to do much. We just have to fine tune this guy. So give us, give us some numbers. Yeah. So we have a top tier score range and really there's, there's two, there's enlisted seal top tier range and then the, the officer. So I'll go with the officers. So a side stroke, you have 500 yards, top tier score is sub eight minutes. Now I work with one guy just recently. He got a, a sub seven thirty, just under seven thirty, which is freaking flying for 500 yard side stroke. So seven thirty, top tier score pushups, max push-ups in two minutes top tier scores are going to be 100 to 110 push-ups that follows your side strokes your side stroke and 110 push-ups same with sit-ups you want to get that 100 to 110 sit-ups that's top tier range and then pull-ups 25 to 30 that follows your push-ups and sit-ups so i'm not talking about fresh just right now just going out banging out pull-ups this is after the swim after the push-ups after the sit-ups max setup pull-ups be 30 mile and a half run we want to see guys sub eight sub eight minute mile and a half. So that's just the PSD scores. You know, those guys are, are pretty dialed in. Sub eight is fucking flying for a mile and a half run. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Beautiful. Awesome. Hey man, this has been great. Thanks so much. We'll stay in touch. Absolutely, man. It's been an honor. It really has. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks guys. Take care. Hope you guys enjoyed that. That was great. Again, check out Joe on instagram i think he's doing something that's that's really cool he's definitely filling a void there's a lot of folks that try to prep for these courses and you know the navy or the army or the marines or whoever they give you the the basic delayed entry program stuff and it's like yeah every three or four months we're going to check in with you and make sure you're still a candidate that can hold a spot and hold a billet this guy's trying to get inside your mind and train you to succeed which is a different take. And I think it's admirable. Let's get into some smokes. Anything hot off the grill this week, Rob? This is a sensitive area. You know, we, we've realized our Aldi's have different 
specials. You had the bison. I, I checked, bro. I checked. Yeah, mental, mental, mental health is hot right now, and I'm fucking worried about Rob's mental health with his, <laughs> with his Aldi selection because it is he's in a dark place over there. Merlin. I think his gets more traffic than mine. It must because I checked your local ad. Oh, I, I have a very busy Aldi. We get really long lines. I go into the aisles. I had to yell at an old lady the other day because she had to butt the line. I don't like doing that. I do it in front of Jack, but it's, it's probably stuff's getting bought up in front of me, but it doesn't make me happy because you, you showed us those bison steaks and they looked outstanding. $13.99 for a 10 ounce, just perfection. Nine minutes on the Rectech at about 500. Just a perfect sear. Couldn't get any better. I, I use the Traeger coffee rub on it. Oh, chef's kiss. Fucking beautiful. The the true smoke heads might critique and say that's really not smoking, but I don't know if you experience this, like doing the steak on a grill versus when I do it on the Traeger high heat. It, it's not, it doesn't get a lot of smoke flavor to it, but it, it just tastes so different. I don't know if it's the indirect heater or how it does it, but you just can't match a steak off the, off the smoker. Yeah, you're not going to get that char, so to speak. You'll get the you'll get the sear if you have the the grill plates on there, but you're not going to get that direct flame char, right? So you aren't going to get a smoke ring in a, in eight minutes, like you said. But man, it cooks a perfect steak, and if you do it right, and you get it dialed in. The thing is just beautiful. I did. I got four of them, so they were great. Wish you got them. But what can I say? Oh, also, new. I got a new little toy at home. I, I shared it with you guys. You're spoiling the segment. It's the the coffee ground of the week. <laughs> you just got to keep doing every every week. There's a new thing of the week. And like <laughs> we, we, know, we haven't we haven't done the fucking uh, the sauna of the week. Like Nick buys a new fucking <laughs> fourteen hundred dollar gadget every six months. So the sauna of the week, the fucking coffee of the week, the smoke of the week. What the fuck else can you buy? You guys are on to me because what's happening is I've filled up the gym. I can't buy anything else. And the way my mind is, <laughs> You I literally say, couldn't do it if you wanted to. Like right. nothing. That's the thing. I'm like on a road. I'm like, what the fuck am I going to spend some money on? Because the way I work is like work really hard at work so I can buy myself something I fucking like. So it's the espresso. It's the roast of the week. Got this new Breville machine, boys. Let me tell you something. I got a steep learning curve. This is way harder than any smoker. You know, went to Best Buy, picked this baby out. And at this point, I can make 20 to 22 second kind of espresso. So I'll just keep you up to date. What I'm doing is I'm not doing pre-workout. I'm just taking a shot of this in the morning. I will tell you, I could be done with pre-workout. For no other reason than this is so much fucking energy that I do not need any of that bullshit in my life. So there's a lot of bean selection that I'm going to have to get into. Supposedly, they got to be fresh. So, of course, it's a high-maintenance, fake-stress type uh, purchase. Now I'm going to have to be counting my ounces and shit, but it's kind of fun. So you bring up an interesting point. I want to I learn more about Nick right now. You said you went to Best Buy to buy this, this coffee maker. Yeah, that's right. Is Nick the kind of guy that does all this research and then just goes to the store and just knows what he wants? Or are you the guy that's going to talk to the associate in there and, and try to learn from him? No. What I do, what I did, went to five different places, made the decision. Typically, the way this works is kind of like a disease taking over my body. I get a thought of something I might want, and then slowly it just I obsess over it. At that point, I read reviews. There was just not a bad review on any of these. You know, sometimes you get on there and you get a bunch of one stars and a bunch of five stars. This was like 
No one star. And if it was, it was like a delayed shipping. Everyone loved it. So I went, saw that Amazon Prime could deliver it in 48 hours. Nah, I'm going up to <laughs> fucking, I'm going up to Newark Best Buy, which isn't all that convenient considering I have one in Dover that did not carry this machine. And I got it on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> I'm probably 30 to 35 different espressos in at this point. I don't know the difference between a good one and a bad one, other than what the machine tells me. So, you know, I'm, I'm running on fucking high octane fuel, boys. I got into doing the grinding my own beans, the French press. And it is like when you, you know, take your coffee to the next level, I've got away from it just for whatever reason. I'll get back to it. But uh, it really does make a difference when you have that awesome cup of coffee that you really put some, put some thought into and get some good beans. Are you guys coffee snobs? No, I'll drink. I mean, I, I love a good cup of coffee. I love a good roast. I will, and Rob's going to go get something. I love coffee and I will, I love snobbing out on coffee, but as it stands at this particular point in my life, I'm just like a grab it and go like, I'll just fire up the curing, get some piece of shit, Sam's coffee and just get something in me. Oh, we've got bags of coffee. Hey, look at this, this birthday gift, all the special blends from all around the little Baltimore roasters. I mean, I'm, Zeke's, I'm set Zeke's up for is a good one. Zeke's is a good coffee too. Just the smell of fresh beans, man. You can't beat it. So, you know, that's the thing here. So this is a very new uncharted territory for me because I love a nice cup of coffee. I will go out of the way to get a nice cup of coffee. And I'd never grind my own beans. And then when I found out this Breville has it, basically, you just store them in the top and it's it's got the auto. You know, I sent you guys a video. That was my first one where I'm a dipshit and I'm trying to measure how much I need. You just push the thing in and it, it shoots out the specific amount that you need. But then there's like a different pounds of pressure you need to tamp it down with or it doesn't brew right. You know, it's it's a head case. I'm a head case, but I'll keep you guys up to date. I, I don't know. I, I... <laughs> so... We're realizing that you need to get back to traveling for work because you have way too much free time. If you're driving to Newark, Delaware to buy a coffee machine and you're stressing about how hard to pound down your, your espresso pucks. It's got to be 30 to 40 pounds, 30 to 40 pounds of pressure. He doesn't need to start driving or start traveling. He's a, get a job again and start working again because I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced he's training full-time. Dude, these, un- these unemployment benefits are so sick. I don't <laughs> think it works anymore. Who, who can blame you? Fuck it. Oh God. It's so funny. It's a joke. I have a job. Just work from home. And when you motherfuckers are driving to work, I'm, I'm shopping. All right. Let's do stream of the week. What do you got, Dan? This is kind of a stream of the week. I had high hopes, but it's kind of a like, let's not stream it of the week. White Lotus on HBO Max. I was, I had high hopes. I started it. Great cast, great ensemble. And it had a great beginning. There's a murder. I'll, I'll kind of set the scene. It's, it's families that go to this resort, resort and you know bodies coming back. So you know a murder takes place at the resort. And you're thinking like, who done it? Who's got beef with who? And it was six episodes. And then it got really boring. And I was like, okay, is, if it's a good ending, I'm like, it shit like goes crazy. Like I think it's going to, this is going to be a sick show. Ending was so fucking flat. It was so like, just nothing happened in the show. I know the critics are going to fucking just love it. And it's just one of those ones that I, if you if you're like 87% on Rotten Tomatoes and it's uh, a, a comedy drama. Did you uh, laugh? Didn't laugh once. Had Alexandra Daddario, the goat and Tammy Taylor, the goat. So I'm like, I don't know how I'm not, not like this. And I, it, I didn't like it. Not a fan. So if you're out there, this is, this is the worst fucking stream of the week I've ever done. And it's not my fucking fault. You can blame whoever was involved with the white Lotus. 
for not making the ending good because I had it all planned out for today because I just watched the finale. Worse than the Woodstock uh, documentary? I like the Woodstock documentary for a lot of reasons. I have my issues with the Woodstock documentary, but you cannot watch the, that documentary and tell me it's not a good doc at some level. And the fucking clips are awesome. Like that DMX, if I could, we had a question of like, if you could go to one event live in your life, like I could take the Woodstock 99 DMX set and be pretty fucking happy. So for that alone. I'm never going to watch that Woodstock documentary. I'm just going to re-listen to your, your all over the place analysis of it over two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I, if, if somebody listens to that analysis, I'll be prescribed. What, what do they give uh, uh, bipolar people? Uh, what's the medication? Just just give you straight lithium. Yeah, lithium. Yeah. They, 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 they like send me fucking lithium. I am, I'm surprised I haven't got any lithium in the mail after that goddamn <laughs> review. But here we are. Any preseason football hot takes? Any sports hot takes? I've, I've missed them. I know you got something. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of hot takes. Like I, I get roasted because I love Tim Tebow. Here's the thing. I love Tim Tebow. I always love Tim Tebow. I think he's a good starting quarterback in the NFL. And I'm pretty bummed that he got cut from the Jaguars. He looked and, like you out there trying to fucking block in hey, some of the preseason. Did he, seal, did he seal the fucking defender or did he not seal the defender? You didn't see all the videos I saw. There's some things floating around out there. That poor guy. Oh. Turns yeah, how, how do you do against the Steelers um, in the playoffs? That one play. Oh, God, yeah. are we talking yeah. about 2011? It happened. It happened. It's like, yeah, you, you, are we talking about World War II? Well, it fucking happened. It's a piece of history. You can't fucking <laughs> ignore it. Yeah, I'm talking about 2011. We're talking about him. Tebow Mania. Fucking destroying your team in the playoffs. And yeah, I didn't imagine that, did I? Or did that really happen? I mean, again, I, <laughs> that's not quite apples to apples here. I was just asking if you had any hot takes. You're going off on a 2012 Tim Tebow take. I don't know, man. I, yeah, I saw he was cut today. And you asked me, I got hot takes. And it's so funny because we were at the clinic, right? And it was at work and the news comes like Tim Tebow gets cut. And I swear to God, like half people are like, oh, fuck that guy. Like, why is he even news? ESPN just hypes him up. And then we have other people like running from one side of the clinic. Down, like, oh, man, Tebow got like. He is the most polarizing person ever, and I just don't really understand why. I just know I like watching him play football. Yeah, he's an exciting college player, that's for sure. It's that time of the year again. <laughs> I think probably the vast majority of our, our listeners probably play a little bit of fantasy football where fantasy football text threads come alive. I know you guys are in one pretty rough, right? I, I want to quit fantasy forever. I just don't care anymore. Dude, I care I care a little bit, but we have this, our, our one friend, our commissioner of league, Jesse Mahorek, the, the nice, the literal nicest person in, in America. I challenge anyone to be nicer or just a better general human being. Him and Tim Tebow have a lot in common, just great, great humans. He sets up this league. He's a fucking awesome commissioner. And the, the problem is me and Robert, a lot of the league with a lot of guys from PT school. So we know like half the people in the league, good friends. We all went to school together. The other half, we don't know. So I have one of these threads with like 15 numbers. I have no idea who these people are. And then it's just like me, Rob, and Jesse, and everyone's bitching at Jesse. And I'm like, dude, you realize he's got like a life. He manages like five fucking PT clinics. He's got kids. He's got a wife, you know, and he's an awesome commissioner. He foresees problems. He fixes problems. He figures shit out. And I just want to punch every stupid idiot on this chain because they don't shut up and stop bitching about it. I was like, dude, you want to do something. Why don't you be commissioner? He's a great commissioner. Yeah. And we've changed to a keeper league this year. So I can't imagine... The, the how that thread is going to start popping off once that that goes into effect. How does this even work, Rob? I I, I almost called you on the way home from work today. Do, do I have anybody that I'm keeping? Is it showing up anywhere? I, and I'm afraid to ask for the text chain because it's going to the 15 numbers I don't know are going to you know jump down my throat talking some bullshit. It's like, dude, I've ignored this thread because of your asses, and don't get mad at me when I don't know the rules. 
Yeah, they're gonna belittle you. They're gonna send you images of trapper keepers because you don't know what's going on. Like, don't <laughs> <laughs> whoever your top players were from last year, just mark, just keep them. All these, all these little boys that can find me in the finals is where I've been the past couple of years. So little boys can find me in the finals. Hey, and you are you're joining the big boy league with some of the Milford dirt around this motherfucker. So I'm excited, bro. We're gonna be doing a live in person auction draft the 28th. I'm so happy you're in it. We David, might have to. Can, can we're gonna we get pu- fucking hammered afterwards. It's gonna be a blast. I, I actually kind of want to live podcast the draft, but then I realized like that's not a good idea. But we'll, we'll, we'll definitely have we'll definitely have a recap. Not in that, not in that crowd. <laughs> not, not in that, that not not in the uh, Milford Delaware Elite crew that we're gonna be hanging out with. But very excited. Yeah, we're 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 gonna be playing fantasy football. We got a draft. I've never done a yo. How about this? I've never done like a live fantasy draft before, like an auction, like an auction draft. Dude, three years ago we did it with our live auctioneer. This he was called like a chicken boy. I don't know. I don't what about know. Wilson's the, the homeboy at Wilson's auction? Yeah. Gonna, yeah, he he did it. Dave Wilson? No, like a little person like him. Like a uh, yeah, like an uh, like an under like an underling. Yeah, an underling. Yeah, it was yeah, great. Yeah. It was yeah. awesome. Oh, All right, fuck. I know we don't we don't have him, we don't have him this year. No, Can I don't we know. Get what him we're doing. hashtag too late. Yeah, it's hashtag oh, too late. Fuck. Yeah, we burned that bridge, I think. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, get, get, no kidding. The crew that I'm going with in Milford just burned a bridge. Jesus fucking Christ. Like, oh, of course, <laughs> burn all the bridges. What hitters you guys got before we jump? I got, I got nothing this week. I got Bleach by John Harvey. <laughs> I had a health teacher in high school named John Harvey. You just made me think of like six different stories. <laughs> you have any, anything worth sharing? without context it, it makes no sense i he was a big dude and i remember one day he wore like a south pole like zip up sweater to school I, that's sticking out in my head right now <laughs> did you guys have a did you guys have a south pole puffy coat did you guys have puffy coats? <laughs> no no i had starter jackets starter jackets I had a you, starter as jacket. did you oh fuck yeah i had uh charlotte hornets and then michigan for reasons that are still undetermined like <laughs> Why, 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 why am I finished for others? I don't know. They're turquoise. <laughs> Fucking great. Streaming Red Nation by the game of Little Wayne. Love. Great. All right. We'll be back next week. Have a good one, y'all.